Hey, it's Candy. Did you know that I have a quiz to help coaches choose their niche? Yeah, I do. It's super popular and it has been taken more than 20,000 times. This is a fun quiz that takes you about two minutes to do, and it will probably give you way more clarity on choosing your best coaching niche. So now whether you say niche or niche, it's going to work for you. And if you're a coach and you have been stuck in niche indecision, wondering what to do, then you should take my quiz and find out what you learn. You can take the quiz today at coachnichequiz.com. That's coachnichequiz.com. Okay, let's dive into this week's episode. Welcome to She Coaches Coaches. I'm your host, Candy Motzek, and I'm going to help you find the clarity, confidence, and courage to become the coach that you are meant to be. If you're a new coach, or if you've always wanted to be a life coach, then this is the place for you. We're going to talk all about mindset and strategies and how to, because step-by-step only works when you have the clarity, courage, and confidence to take action. Let's get started. Hi there, and welcome to this episode of She Coaches Coaches. I am so glad you're here. I've got a special roundtable episode just for you. I gathered together a group of experts, each with a lifetime of experience, and asked them one question. Then I compiled all of their responses. So you're getting a whole bunch of responses and individual takes on one questions. This stuff is pure gold. I really enjoyed my conversations. All of my guests have such diverse perspectives. You're going to want to listen carefully to what they have to say. So this is the question. Tell me about a time that you experienced imposter syndrome and what did you do to get over it? So imposter syndrome, this is in the news a lot these days, and it is so incredibly common for coaches and entrepreneurs to experience this. I have a different perspective. Here's my thought. We think that imposter syndrome is something to be solved. And usually we experience this kind of self-doubt when we get to the next level, whatever level that may be. Now, new coaches might suffer from imposter syndrome, and then they get started, they sign some clients, they begin coaching, and they make money, and they think they've got it beat, only to find out that they've signed a client who is super successful, and that person wants their help. And it might start all over again. The imposter syndrome has them asking themselves, who am I to be coaching this incredible human? They are so successful. They're going to find out I'm a fraud, a fake. And that imposter syndrome raises its head again. I've experienced this so often myself. Every time I get to a new level, you've heard that saying, right? New level, new devil. Well, imposter syndrome is kind of like that. One example is this podcast. Not this particular episode, but the early episodes. I am so fortunate to have many loyal listeners And I thank you for being here. And I found that when I was starting, I spent a lot of time in my head thinking, you're no expert. Who are you to be sharing this? They're going to find out you're a fake. 
And it went around and around and around in my head. And in fact, I even delayed recording my first episodes because of this. I got over it because my coach said to me, Candy, who are you recording this for? And I replied, coaches, of course. Then they reminded me that I've coached hundreds of people and I've coached for thousands of hours and that most of my clients stay with me for a long time because the work we do together helps them. So then my coach said, so don't you think that there are people who aren't your clients yet who could benefit too? Well, that was it. I pressed record and now here you are listening. That's my story. Now let's hear from the other experts. Sherry, I have a question. Tell me about a time that you experienced imposter syndrome and then what did you do to get over it? Oh, wow. Imposter syndrome is so big for entrepreneurs. And I have to tell you, it can hit you at any point in your business. And I, I've been doing this coaching consulting thing for 22 years, been out there a long time. And yet recently, imposter syndrome kind of hit me. And what happened was uh, my philosophy is that there's no one way to market your business. And what happens is I typically don't teach a specific strategy because I believe you have to tailor your marketing strategy to fit you, where your ideal clients hang out, the lifestyle you want to live, so on and so forth. And what happened was I had clients telling me, you're using LinkedIn really effectively. You need to share this. And I resist sharing one specific strategy and going deep in that uh, in a broad way, because I feel like I'm going to pigeonhole myself as one of those gurus that tells you you have to do something. So I followed the lead of my clients telling me I needed to do this workshop, created this, this entire LinkedIn, uh, Level Up Your LinkedIn Leads workshop. And every day as I was promoting it, I got this, who am I to teach LinkedIn? And LinkedIn is a strategy I've been using in my business pretty effectively, not pretty effectively, very effectively the last year. But who am I to teach this one strategy as the, the go-to strategy? And I had to keep telling myself, who am I is someone that has effectively implemented this strategy. So I think with coaching, we have to remember that we really only need to be a couple of steps ahead of the people that we're coaching because we're most effective at coaching what we've already done. And by telling myself and reminding myself that I'm already using LinkedIn effectively, I'm generating the 50 to 75 connections a week, I'm turning them into connection calls that are effectively turning into collaborations and referral partnerships and, and new clients, I'm the perfect person to teach entrepreneurs that aren't yet using LinkedIn maybe effectively to do that. So, but I had to keep coming back to that or that old imposter syndrome just kept kind of raising its, it's rearing its ugly head. Yeah. And I, and I love that you use a recent example too. And so there's another thing here that's sort of layered in is that you had to remind yourself repeatedly, you still took action despite that feeling of self-doubt and imposter syndrome. Exactly. And then the third thing that you didn't say, but I think is really implicit here, is that every time you come to a new level, imposter syndrome is probably going to show its head again, right? Exactly. So I think, that, I think that those things are important is that it's never going to go away. We're always going to experience it. And that's okay. 
We can manage it. It is okay. Right? It is okay because every everything in business is a learning experience. And and we just have to push through it to get to the next level. Kathleen, could you tell me a time that you experienced imposter syndrome? And then what did you do to get over it? This is sometimes, I love that you asked this because I sometimes have a hard time even admitting that I've had this because <laughs> being vulnerable <laughs> is, is one of my weaknesses. And so um, I recall being on the verge of a very big launch. I had a marketing partner who had reached out to me and said, can I market you as a brand? We were on the verge of the launch and he was about to expose me to a 200 K list. Like I'm a newbie. I just created this and I was just selling it as a one-off to my clients. So this huge opportunity was coming. We had worked on this launch. I was feeling very self-conscious. I hadn't practiced a lot on camera. Um, I was in my forties. So I was just feeling a little older and um, insecure. As much as I saw it was a really good opportunity and was super excited about it. But I found naming it naming the exact vulnerability, naming that I felt, wow, why me? Or is this really happening? Or I'm not really ready. That feeling that I had, naming it was the big thing. I named it out loud to myself. And as a result, I could hear myself and hear that it was like one tiny, tiny, tiny little part of the doubt. You know, it wasn't It was a small part of the huge, big excitement and everything else. And I didn't want just the excitement to be the only part of it. It's like naming the dark side, right? Mm -hmm. And so as a result, that really helped me. And I also had a good friend who I was excited and shared with them. And at the same time, because I've known them so long, I could say, wow, I I just, you know, I, I don't know if I can do this on camera and I was really insecure and... Um, I don't know how this is going to happen. And there were a ton of changes at the last minute. So that kind of made me a little more insecure, but I went for it and it worked. You know, the launch oh. went really well. Oh, that's amazing. And, you know, and I think when you started this idea that it's really hard to admit that you have imposter syndrome, like, you know, just in that little space, that's that was exactly it. Like, it's hard to admit it. And then they named it. First, naming it to yourself, then talking to it with somebody who you're close with, somebody that you can trust, and diffusing that imposter syndrome. I'm, um, I find that the reason for this question is that so many people around me, so many clients and so many peers, we've been talking about imposter syndrome a ton. And so the more that we can sort of show people that it really is a thing, and I believe that it's something that comes up over and over and over at every layer of growth for us, then maybe just, you know, you answering that question, me asking that question is somehow going to make somebody else's, you know, I don't know, just make their ears perk up, right? And maybe they don't have to experience that same level of discomfort. Maybe that's just sort of part of the path, right? Anyway. Yeah, yeah, it is. That's why I love that you asked it. Thank you so much. So Sherry, could you tell me about a time that you experienced imposter syndrome and what you did to get over it? Well, I'd say the time I felt I was experiencing imposter syndrome was when I was doing a five-day challenge 
And the challenge was about taming your money monsters. And those are primarily those limiting beliefs that you have that hold you back. And I found myself every night just like, how could I possibly be talking about this subject when I have some of my own untamed money monsters that I would have to continue to work and work and work and think, who am I to be teaching this particular subject? Well, of course, the answer to that is, why not me? I have a lot of experience doing it. And what I would have to do is I would have to just kind of put the big girl panties on, suit up and show up and act as if until I got through that day's episode and I go through it again and I'd have to do the same thing again. And when it was over, those money monsters that I had to tame and that imposter syndrome that was dogging me had seemed to just shrink and slide. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that you said, you know, this, who am I? It also reminds me that um, it means that you probably have even more compassion for the people that you were leading, you know, like knowing that you've got your own challenges reminds you that you're human and that they are, and that we've got a connection, right? Exactly. And what I learned out of it as much as anything was to have a self-compassion that I needed to be as gentle with myself as I was encouraging my audience to be with themselves. Jackie, I have another question for you. Tell me about a time when you experienced imposter syndrome and what did you do to get over it? Hmm. So I'm going to do two short ones. One was in the beginning when I started the journey. I come from a 30-year restaurant background in leadership management and I coached people my entire life. Like I, I had helped people see what they couldn't see, all the gift of belief for them until they got there. I promoted over 300 people and was just loved that piece of the restaurant business. Now there's other things of the reason why I'm not with it anymore. Um, lack of time, freedom, lack of money, freedom, all that stuff. But when I got into the coaching world and I started building my business, I said the words, okay, I'm new at this. And my friend whipped her head around at me and was like, are you crazy? You've been doing this since you were like 14, like 15, well, 15. Cause when I was 15, they gave me the keys to the bakery and little Italian bakery in Jersey. They threw the keys at me and said, you're running the shift. And now I know that's illegal and it's under 60, you know, but anyway, it was fun and it was exciting at the time, but it was very, um, I just didn't piece the two that I've been doing this for my entire life. And people had actually called me coach for years in the industry. And I was like, oh, I'm new at this. So that was the first time I felt that, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I got to learn more. Mm, nah, I didn't. I knew everything already inside of me that I needed to know. Um, I just needed to borrow other, some belief from others until I got there. Um, the second one was went later on after I've built, you know, built a six-figure business and I'm flowing and I'm doing my thing. And someone referred a client to me that made like 10 times more money 
like successful in the money side than me. And I was like, how am I going to help this woman? Like, I don't know. Like she's got all this money and success and everything. And I got to tell you within 20 minutes into the call, I was like, this woman needs me. because She had exactly, right? she had exactly what you said. Like she had the, the, the success and like the business, the, the career and the business and the money flowing, but she had no life. Mm. And she was like, I just want to like, I would love to have a relationship, but I have no time. You know, I would just, and, and she didn't have time or energy or anything to go date and explore that. And I was like, oh, no. So I was like, well, you have a choice. You can go years and years without that desire of yours, or you can make some changes and, and, and delete and delegate and do all that stuff. And we assessed all that. But I, in my head, felt like an imposter going, well, she makes more money defining the success and the ability to serve based on the financial piece, which isn't true. So I thought that was interesting. (laughs) Yeah, super interesting. And I heard recently this um, that sort of fits in with this is that it's not always the best coaches that make the most money. It's the best marketers, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for my audience, so many fabulous coaches out there and maybe they're not making it the way they thought that they were going to. And it's because they didn't learn, they haven't learned that other skill yet. Right. Mm-hmm. But for you, so interesting that both of those examples, once you kind of centered yourself in who you are, remembered who you are and what matters and your experience and, you know, how you define and live your life, it's like it almost kind of just evaporated like instantly. Right. Yes. Yeah. And something, the key thing you just said is when I brought it back to me Mm. and it all comes back to you and the whole journey, it's how do you get more aligned with you? How do you love yourself more? How do you appreciate and respect yourself more? How do you connect more with your higher power? Because I did not believe that there was anything else helping me because I'm an I got it girl and I did it all myself and I paid for everything since I was 15 and you know what 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 and I realized I'm like no no I had support my whole time but I was so like badge of honor that I got all this on my own um and then I realized that's just silly <laughs> yeah. well and that badge of honor of a DIY or the lone wolf is a very heavy badge you know, it's kind of like a rock. Yes. Rock, right. <laughs> and when you realize that you've got support and you've got help and whether it's, you know, your guides or, or the universal intelligence or other people living in your life, like it's just so mm-hmm. much easier and so much more fun. Right. Mm, way more fun. Way more fun. <laughs> uh, tell me about a time when you experienced imposter syndrome. What was that like? And, and how did you resolve that? Mm-hmm. It's actually because initially when you talk about your business, you know, when you first start and I started to get on being interviewed by people and being on stage like I am now. And I, I didn't have my clear message. I didn't have my niche. I didn't have my, I didn't know what I was an expert at. I didn't, you know, like I, that's, and then I felt like, I don't know. I don't know what, like, I feel like I was blowing my own horn and nobody cared and all that. But what I have to say to counter that is the more you speak, and I realize that myself, the more I say, no matter what, I'm going to do this interview and I know my stuff and that's going to come out and whatever come out will come out. But I have to say after 
six months of doing lots of interview, of doing lots of talk, uh, talking to a lot of potential clients, eventually you will find you will find yourself. You will you will deepen your your need or want to help these people, these specific people and how you're going to do it. And it's all going to become clear. So don't worry, just promote yourself, talk where you are today might be different in six months, but honor where you are today because you're better. If you're here, you're better than those that are here. So you can serve these people. Maybe one day you'll be here and and you'll be able to still help all of these people, but you can always help someone. So be confident that you'll find your perfect area of coaching and talking about yourself, but give yourself some time. So Catherine, I have a question about imposter syndrome. Can you tell me about a time that you might have experienced imposter syndrome and what did you do to get over it? I did it. I, I mean, when I came out of corporate, so I spent two and a half decades working with corporate on market research and consumer insights. So, I mean, I was paid very well to ask questions and translate those answers that people would give into corporate speak. I didn't think that I could do that um, as an entrepreneur. I didn't know how to actually translate that skill into, you know, my own kind of whatever, my own creation. So I actually went into network marketing, which was great for what it was. It's a great business model. But what I found was that my lead generation became very difficult and expensive. Uh, And I just wasn't talking to the right people. So by kind of going through that and kind of digging my heels and really, you know, saying, nope, I'm not going back to corporate. I am going to figure this out. People are doing it. That's how I actually found quizzes as a lead generation for, you know, attracting the best clients. Um, and I went, I went further than just using a quiz and created a whole, you know, kind of uh, several products and services to help people do the same thing. Cause it was, it seemed to be a missing, a missing link. But when I first came into entrepreneurship, I wasn't, it's like, that's too corporate or that's like that. Nobody's going to want to do that. Or how do I, you know, how do I, figure that or do I even want to really do that anymore? Um, So it took a little bit of knowing what I wanted to be when I grew up and figuring out my own path to, to what entrepreneurship meant and, and what, what products really light me up and I can, I can help people with. Tell me about a time that you experienced imposter syndrome and what did you do? How did you handle it? And how did you get over it? I'm smiling because I love the way you normalize this by saying, tell me about a time that it's not, do you ever feel that? Or it's just, it's part of life, our life. So uh, one time was a company that called me. They installed software to track the products through a factory line, through the workers. And before that, it was a paper trail. Uh, this was a factory that was making metal things. The people were highly uh, professional in handling metal through very complex machines. But tracking the parts was paper made. And it turned to be a computer, you know, software that they installed. They had training. And to their horror, when they re- went to the training, they found out that 80% of their factory workers could not use a computer. The training was how to use this specific software. The people needed 
the literacy part, how to move mm-hmm. a mouse and track the cursor on the screen, how to click buttons, uh, everything that comes with using a computer. And they had an older um, worker and, and, and they wanted to know, okay, so we have 80 people here. They're working in three shifts. Can you do something about it? I was a little bit deer in the headlight. Can yeah. I do something about this? Uh, I work with people all the time, but this was, you know, felt outside of my purview. I took a deep breath and uh, I went on a fact-finding mission. I figured I don't know enough about this to answer the question. So I asked them for a factory tour to take me through, show me where people are working. What's that computer like? Um, I spoke with a couple of the workers as we walked down the factory, you know, with hats and earmuffs and everything. Um, I spoke with a couple of the people and asked them about that computer and, you know, what's not working for them there. And I basically came out with what I could do about it. So did I know at first? No, I didn't. I I really felt like they're asking the wrong person. Mm. Wow. In the end, I found out they asked the right person because I insisted that instead of taking the workers to a separate room and asking them to come at some other time of day when it's convenient for me rather than their night shift to do some work in some computer room, you know, like a training. I said, no, the only way this is going to work well is if I come to their station and show them what to do, where they work. And I went in 20 minutes with each worker. I went one by one to their station and worked with them. 80 people, three shifts. It was fun. And it worked. I love that. So, you know, so what I, it, so what a wonderful story. And then, so the things that I hear is this, first off, don't assume that people have a level of skill. Like we have no idea. Mm-hmm. Second is you took a deep breath and then you started to do some research and you started to talk to people long before you came to some sort of solution. And then the solution that you offered was quite radical compared to most training, most learning and development, right? Interesting. So interesting. So that open mind, you know, the, to approach it with an open mind really served you well. Is that, to, is that what you think too? Have I missed something in your story about how you, how you dealt with this? Because it was a massive project by the sounds of it. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I would say that that's how I approach uh, clients in in usual. I I tell a person when they meet me, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. And you need to know ahead of time that I don't assume at all that you have answers to those questions. A lot of time when people ask you questions, especially if it's sometimes it's kids at school because I also teach math, uh, tutor. They're used to, but also people who are working, adults, when asked the question, they're expected to know the answer. People ask them questions that they're supposed to give an answer to. When I ask questions, it's, I'm looking for the edges of their knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yes. When you can answer me, okay, good. I'm not that interested here because you already know them. Yeah. When you start not knowing the answers to my questions, I get excited. <laughs> And 
<laughs> they are like baffled. And I say to them, oh, you're, you're confused because I got more excited when you don't know the answer than when you do know the answer. They said, yeah, how, how come? I said, oh, here we found something. Now we have something to do. You have something to learn. I have something to teach. This is actually a great finding. We've been looking to discover this and we just discovered a place where you don't know something. This is a good thing. Ah, yeah, I love that. Similar to the other question. So that's, that's how I work. I, I don't assume that you know anything. Mm, I love that. Or that huh, I know interesting. I don't know everything either. No, of course not. I mean, you've got your edge as well. Thanks again for listening today. Please hop on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Also, I would love to hear from you. Did something that I say resonate? What else would you like to learn about? Click the link in the player and leave a comment on the post. This is going to give me great ideas for future episodes so I can help you best. Join me again next week for more coaching, support, and teaching to help you become the confident coach you are meant to be.